0: Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Just so glad that y'all are here this morning. Um, Glad to be part of the gathering, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online. Uh, Glad to have you with us this morning. So grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Uh, I believe that there is something powerful about stories of separation to restoration. That there's something in the human spirit that is drawn towards stories of separation and then restoration. And, and as I was thinking about this, I Googled just like top movies of all time. And, and it's amazing. You go down the list of some of these movies and you see like, I man, these are just stories of separation and then restoration. I did the same thing with books. And you look and you see a lot of these books that are just timeless. It's stories of separation and then Redemption and and being brought back together. There's this restoration that happens. And one of my favorite examples of this is a classic movie called Finding Nemo. Any Finding Nemo fans? Yes. Uh, honestly, it's maybe one of my top five, top ten movies of all time. I love the movie, and I get to watch it a lot now with uh, three and a two-year-old in the house. And so, um, usually I keep them up late because I'm enjoying the movie, and I don't want to turn it off. Uh, but love that story. And as I was thinking about, it, I'm like, well. yeah, it's a story of separation and then restoration. And if you don't know the story, there's a a father fish. His name is Marlon. And there's this son. It's his only son, his only child named Nemo. And Nemo is taken by these scuba divers and and brought to a faraway place. And so the rest of the movie is essentially Marlon's journey to go try to find his son. And uh, I'm going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. It's 17 years old, so shame on you. (laughs) Uh, but they, they're restored. They find each other. And it's this beautiful moment of joy and happiness and relief. And, and you watch that and think, what is it in our spirit that is just drawn towards these stories of separation and then restoration? And we're going to see in the parable we're going to look at today. It's, it's honestly one of Jesus' most well-known parables. But it's a story of separation and restoration. It's a story of separation and restoration. We've said kind of throughout this parable series that a parable is this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so the story we're going to look at today, it's, it's a story that probably many of us in this room can relate to in some way or another. But we're going to get below just the details of the story to see what is Jesus really teaching us about separation from God. And then about restoration to God. And you got to understand, Jesus told this story, Jesus told this parable in particular to uh, a crowd. And the crowd mainly consisted of two different people. And we actually see this often with Jesus' parables. But one of the groups of people was uh, a group of, they're, they're called tax collectors and sinners. They were kind of the outcasts of that day. And they loved to follow Jesus around. And so they're following Jesus around. Jesus is eating with them. He's building relationships with them. And the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, they don't like this about Jesus. And and in Luke 15, we're going to see they actually, it says they grumble. They complain. They say, what is it with this Jesus that he's always eating with these tax collectors and sinners and You get this sense that they're wondering, like, why doesn't he spend time with us? They're the ones who are far from God. We, the religious elite, we're near to God. And so, Jesus, why don't you come spend time with us and and hang out with us? And so it's in the midst of this that Jesus redefines for his listeners what causes separation from God. And he redefines for these Pharisees and these tax collectors and these sinners He redefines for all of them the path back to restoration with God. And he's going to do the same for us this morning through this story. And so we're going to just walk through this parable together. And then after we're done walking through the parable, we're going to look at what does this teach us about separation from God? And then what does this teach us about restoration to God? And so let me pray for us, and then we'll get started here. Father, uh, we do just offer this time to you. And I thank you for your word. And, and God, I thank you that you speak to us. You speak to me through your word. And so we just ask that you would do that this morning. That it wouldn't be my words that people leave and they're thinking about, but instead it would just be the, the beauty of your word, the beauty of these stories and, and the, the parable we're going to look at today. So God, would you just pierce and convict our hearts through your spirit now? We offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 15, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Let's jump in together. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was looking to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And so here you have two sons, and and the spotlight first is shown on the younger son. The younger son comes to his dad and says, hey, uh, dad, I'm done with you. I'm done with this family, I'm done with this community, I'm done with your friends, I'm done with this house, I want out. And so if you could, I know there's an inheritance coming to me, but essentially what I'm asking is like, I, I honestly, I wish you were dead so I could just have my inheritance now. Is there any way you just just give me that now because I want out? And the dad says, oh, okay, okay. And so back in that day, you had two sons. The older son would have gotten two thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would have gotten one third. And so, the father gives the younger son his third of the property of the land. He goes, he sells it, he gets the cash, and then he's out, he's gone. And he doesn't just go to the next city over. It says he goes to a far off, a distant country, and there he begins to live in such a way that whatever desire he has, he just <laughs> spend money. I'm gonna. If I want this, I'm gonna. Ah, let's put some money down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy these things. It says he he spends it on reckless living. Whatever his eye sees, he gets. But we know if you live like that long enough, eventually the cash begins to dwindle, and to the point for this son where it was gone, and he was left with nothing. And, and then to make matters worse, uh, a famine hits, and so he's really desperate. He goes, he hires himself out to a a person in that community and he goes and begins to feed the pigs and I love Jesus is the master storyteller and he knows the the crowd that he's speaking to there's a lot of uh, Jewish people in the crowd and so for Jewish people in particular uh, pigs were despicable they were unclean animals to Jews they were a symbol of degradation and so even to be with the pigs was uh, was was offensive to these to these listeners but then to make matters worse He's, he's with these pigs, not only with them, but he's looking at the food going, I would give anything to just eat what they're eating. Uh, this is a picture from a guy in my small group who's a hog farmer. I said, hey, just send me a picture of like what you see on a day in and day out basis. And here's just a little sample of that. But just imagine standing in the middle of this and you look at that pig just smeared with dirt and nasty. And, you know, if you've ever seen a pig eat, it's not super like, oh, man. I think I want to to have what they're having. It's, you know, you got slobber and stuff flying. And he's looking at this, oh, I would give anything just to eat what they're eating. I mean, this guy is desperate. And he's got no one. Separated from his father. But the story continues. Pick it up in verse 17. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. And so he finally gets to the point where he says, I'm desperate. I don't have anywhere else to turn. I know I've severed every relationship I have at home, but I don't know where else to go, and so maybe I'll just hire myself out to my dad. He can pay me, and I'll start to just pay back the debt that I owe him. And so he begins to head back home. And as he does, we see what happens. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, hey, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so you have this father who who sees his son beginning to approach and he takes off, he runs. and, And I love thinking about this through the younger son's perspective. You imagine he's, you know, he's Heading home, and he's rehearsing this speech, and his heart's racing as he begins to approach home. And and he all of a sudden he sees this guy running at him. I'm like, ah, oh, that's weird. And then as the guy gets closer, he's like, oh, that's my dad. And you got to wonder if he's like, dang, dad's way more mad than I thought he was. He's just sprinting at me like he's taking me out. I'm done. This is it. This is it. Bad choice. You can almost imagine he's starting to like turn away, like, uh, <laughs> should I run away? But as the dad gets closer, instead of anger, he sees love and joy in the eyes of his father. And the father picks him up and embraces him and welcome home son and they throw a party, get the fattened calf, let's kill it, let's eat, let's celebrate. And often we finish the story there and that this, I mean it's a beautiful story, but there's more to the story. And honestly when I read the story I almost wish like Jesus why didn't you just stop it there like that would have been so good. It's such a beautiful ending to the story, but he doesn't. Because he wants us to see that the younger brother was separated from the father. But as we continue in the story and as we unpack this more, we're going to see that the older brother, though he was physically near to the father, was just as separated from the father as the younger brother was. And so let's continue in the story. Verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Well, your brother, he's come home your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound because uh, but he was angry and refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him he he pleaded with him and he answered his father look these many years i've served you i've never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him And he, the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then the story ends. We don't know what the older brother does. We don't know how he responds to the invitation of the father. But we see here two sons, both separated from the father. See, this is a parable about separation. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the sinners, the true nature of separation. Now, it's not shocking that the younger brother is separated from the father. I mean, if you're a parent in the room and your child comes to you and says, hey, I'm done with you. Give me some money so that I can leave. And, and I'm, 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 I'm done with you. I'm done with my brothers. I'm done with my sisters. I, I don't like you. I despise you. And I'm out. I mean, that would put some strain on a relationship. And so it's not hard to see that the younger brother is separated from the father. But, but I think what gets missed sometimes is that the older brother is just as separated from the father. And I want us to look at how we see that and how we know that in the story here. And so pick it up with me. In verse 28, remember the older son, he's coming back in from the field. He hears music and dancing, and he's like, what's going on? His servant comes back and he says, hey, dude, your your brother's back, and your, your dad is throwing a massive party. And we get to see the response of the older son, verse 28. But he was what? Angry and refused to go in separation. He was angry and refused to go in. No way, I'm staying out here. Separation. His father came out and entreated him. He pleaded with him. But the older son, he answers this way to his father. He says, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So what's, what's with this? As the older son begins to talk, he reveals his heart. And he starts with this. He says, I have served you. This is the language of servant master, of slave master. And so as this older son begins to talk, you don't get the warm fuzzies of like, hey, dad, Like, why'd you do this? I mean, I've been here all this time. No, no, no. He's like, hey, look. Not even dad. Just look. I have slaved away. I have served you. And then he goes on. He says, I have never disobeyed. I've done everything you told me to do. The things you said don't do, I didn't do those. I've followed everything you said. I have legalistically just plotted along. I've been the perfect servant to you, master. And then here's where his heart is revealed. Yet you never gave me. Yet you never gave me. You see, we see in the younger son this desire to say, hey, dad, I don't really want you. I just want your stuff. And so give me my inheritance. The older brother has the same exact heart. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm doing all the right things, but why am I doing them? Because I want from you. I don't just want my father. I want what my father can give me. He says, you never gave me anything. The party going on in there, that's, that should be for me. I've been the perfect son. I don't really want you, dad. I just want your stuff. Would you celebrate me? Come on. Tim Keller says this about the older son. He says, what did the older son most want? If we think about it, we realize that he wanted the same thing as his brother. He was just as resentful of the father as the younger son was. He, too, wanted the father's goods rather than the father himself. However, while the younger brother went far away, the elder brother stayed close and he never disobeyed. And listen, this was his way to get control. His unspoken demand is, hey, I've never disobeyed you. Now you have to do things in my life the way I want them to be done. The hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. Each one rebelled. Listen to this. One did so by being very bad and the other by being extremely good. But both were separated from their father's hearts. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a group of, yes, tax collectors and sinners, but of Pharisees. And Pharisees who think they're close to God. And Jesus is telling them, hey, you look good on the outside, but I can see your heart. And you are just as separated from the father as this younger son was. Not by being very bad, but by being very good and putting all your hope and confidence in your goodness to keep you close to the father. And Jesus is saying, I see your heart. And it's a heart filled with and driven by pride. You see, Jesus is teaching them and he's teaching us this, this morning that the path of separation from God is paved with my pride. The path of separation from God is paved with my pride. Jesus wants us to see that the cause of all separation from God is spiritual pride. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He said, Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride always means enmity, and it is enmity. Enmity meaning actively hostile, actively opposed. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. See, pride is this active opposition to God and His ways. As we talk about pride, we want to define it this way this morning. Spiritual pride is the rejection of God's will and God's kingdom for the promotion of my will and my kingdom. Spiritual pride is the rejection of God's will and God's kingdom for the promotion of my will and my kingdom. And again, we see this in both sons. In the younger son, it's, it's a bit more obvious. We see, hey, Father, I want out from under your authority so that I can go live how I want, give me my money, give me my stuff so that I can get out of here. It's a bit more sneaky in the older son, but he just has the same heart. He rejects the authority of his father, and he says, hey, I've done all these things. You never gave me anything. And in that, he's revealing this focus, self over all. Focus on self and the service of self, self self-recognition, self-exaltation, control, and use of all things for self. At the heart of pride is self. And the older son was just as fixed on himself as the younger son was. And in doing so, he was just as separated from his father. The older son never wanted to be with the father. It was always about what the father could do for him. He was using the father for himself. He was trying to manipulate the father to do what he wanted to do, to work in such a way that the Father would bend to his own will, not the Son bend to the will of his Father. And oh, how often this is us. How often this is me. I want to use God to get what I want. I want to use God to get what I want. I want to use God to build my kingdom. And even just in preparing for this this week, I've been so convicted of the way that I can use God to build my own kingdom. And specifically in, in the way of, of people pleasing, I love to behave and act in a certain way where I can get you to think more highly of me. So that like when I'm spending time with you, I leave and I can say the right things, especially like in a Christian setting. I can say all the cool like Christian things and, and I leave and you're like, man, that guy, come on, man, that guy's got it together. And did you hear what he said? Did you hear that point he made? And at the end of the day, all I'm doing is using God to promote my kingdom. God has so convicted me that there's so many times that all I'm doing is using him to try to make you think better of me. And in doing that, I'm rejecting his kingdom and all I'm doing is promoting mine. It's spiritual pride and it will keep me far from the Father. Or how many of us think that God owes us a better life? an easier life, a different life. We're going, God, come on, I've never disobeyed you. I, I've just always been a Christian, and I grew up in church, and I've tried to do the right things, and at least I'm not like them. I'm not like him. I'm not like her who's done all these things. And, I mean, man, their life seems to be going well. God, you, you owe me. I deserve better than this. At the heart of that is pride. It's trying to manipulate God to bend his knee to my will rather than me bending my knee to his. Spiritual pride can reveal itself by us being really bad or really good, but either way, it's spiritual pride that'll keep us separated from true communion and relationship with our Father God. Oh, that God would show us the ways we're walking on the path of separation from him through our pride. And you may be in here and and you see you're living in some ways that are are very similar to the younger son, just like straight rebellion. Maybe you're in here and and you're living in some ways that are very similar to the older son. And you're seeing, man, I, I think that might be me in some ways, I'm trying to manipulate God to bow his knee to my kingdom. Either way, it's gonna drive us to separation from God. But thankfully, this story isn't just a story. This parable isn't just a parable of separation. Because if it stopped there, it'd be pretty hopeless. It's not just a parable of separation. It is also a parable and a story of restoration. And as Jesus tells this story, he's not only redefining for this group of people what it means and how we become separated from God. He's redefining and painting a a new and beautiful picture of how we are restored to God. And so... Let's begin to look at this story of not just separation, but of restoration. Pick it up with me in verse 20. Now, remember, the younger son, he was out. He's, he's got nothing. He's with the pigs. Finally, he says, all right, I got to go home. He gets up, and he begins to go to his father. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I love this picture. The Greek word for long way off is the same word used for distant country in verse 13. Its repetition is highly symbolic. You see, the father extends compassion and forgiveness. Not when he knows his son is is all cleaned up and and he's ready to change. but, But he gives that to his son when for all he knows, he's still in the far country. Forgiveness is freely and unconditionally bestowed upon the son before he says a word and the father takes off. He, he sees his son, and he runs. And you got to understand, in that day, uh, it was pretty undignified and and kind of frowned upon for older men to run, which, you know, in our day and age, it's like, wow, that's weird. But in that day and age, that was the truth. You didn't run if you were an older man. And not only that, you didn't, you didn't show your legs. You'd be wearing tunics. And so to run, you'd have to pull up your tunic to take off and run. And so this guy's like, forget it. Forget all the things that people might say or my son. And so he picks up his robes and he takes off. He runs. He embraces his son. He hugs him. He kisses him. And I love the son begins to, to, to uh, say his speech in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes to keep going, but the father cuts him off. He says, wait, 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 stop, stop. He turns to his servant and he says, hey, go bring me the best robe. Put it on and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and don't miss the beautiful imagery of this. The best robe would have belonged to the father himself. And you got to remember where this younger son is coming from. He's dirty, he's muddy, he's smelly, he's nasty. Not many people would look at him and say, oh man, I want to embrace him and bring him in. But the father, before the son ever cleans himself up, says, get my robe of honor, get my robe of purity, and put it on over the son so that when people look at him, they don't see the dirt, they see my honor. And so he puts this robe on the son. And then not only that, he says, bring the ring. Put the ring on his finger. And what's this mean? It's this sign of sonship. It's this sign of you're part of the family. The father brings him in, not as a servant, not as a hired hand. He doesn't just put him in the house. He restores him to sonship, puts the ring back on his his hand. He he puts shoes on his feet. And again, it's kind of like, what? That seems weird. Well, you got to understand, servants in that day didn't wear shoes in the house, but the family, the sons, did. And the father said, hey, this is my son. Put shoes on his feet. I want him to know he's not a servant here. He's my son, and he's home. These gestures far exceed the son's need. You see, the father could have just satisfied his needs. Hey, give him some food, send him back on his way. But instead, he restores him. And they kill the fattened calf, and they have this party and feast and celebration and joy. And then we see the older son, I mean, he would have been restored to the father the same way. The father goes out to the older son, and it says he entreats him. He implores him. He pleads with the son, son, come back home. Tim Keller says this about the older son. He says the father also goes out to the angry, resentful elder brother, begging him to come into the feast. The picture's like a double-edged sword. It shows that even the most religious and moral people need the initiating grace of God, that they are just as lost. And it shows that there is hope, yes, even for the Pharisees. This last plea from the Father is particularly amazing when we remember Jesus' as his audience. He's addressing the religious leaders who are going to hand him over to the Roman authorities to be executed. Yet in this story, the elder brother gets not a harsh condemnation, but a loving plea to turn from his anger and self-righteousness. Jesus is pleading in love with his deadliest enemies, those who are going to crucify him. He's saying, come home. The older son and the younger son, the path to restoration back with the father is paved with his love. For you and I, it's the same. The path of restoration to God is paved with his love. The path of restoration to God is paved with his love. It's not in us cleaning ourselves up. It's not in our getting our lives together. It's, it's not in, in then being like the older brother and saying, well, if I just behave better and I do better and I say better and I obey all that you command, then my father will love me and accept me and I'll be restored back to God. No, the path back to God is simply in receiving the love of God that has paved the way and continues to pave the way for us to be restored to God. Everything that is true for the younger son is true for us. While we were still a long way off, God extends his compassion and his grace. First John says this. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were still in the distant country, while we were still far off, Jesus is sent to die for us. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, not while we were his friends, while we were sinners, while we were rebels, Christ died for us. And then as we come back to the Father, I love this, we're given the best robe We're given the best robe. We're coming to him from the pig pen of our sin, dirty and broken and helpless with nothing to give the father but ourselves, our dirty, broken selves. And the father says, hey, get the robe of my righteousness and put it on my son and my daughter so that when I look at him, when I look at her, I don't see their sin. I don't see their brokenness. I see the robe of righteousness. I see the blood of my son, Jesus, that has Covered them and now declares them as righteous and clean in my eyes. This is what the Father does for us. He says, Get the robe and put it on him, put it on her, get the ring. I want everybody to know that's my son and that's my daughter. And yeah, yeah, I know they're still broken, they're still messed up. Look at how dirty they still look. They're rolling around with the pigs. But yeah, 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 that's my son and daughter. I have washed them clean by the blood of my son, Jesus. And not just the ring, but then go go put the sandals on their feet so that everyone knows and so that they know they're not just a servant in the house. They are a son and a daughter. And then not only that, we are invited to the feast of communion with God. There's a party going on in this house, y'all. And this is the picture of relationship with God. I've been so convicted recently that I I go through the motions of Christianity without the Christ of Christianity. I can do the Christian things, but at the end of the day, if you were to ask me, like, do you really know Christ? Did you commune with Jesus today? Did you talk to him and and did you hear him talk to you? And, And do you feel like you can come to the end of the day and say, I have known God. And there's many days where I'd say, "Mm, maybe, probably not. Just kind of, I did my Christian thing without ever having this communion with Jesus. You see, the father is after relationship. He's after communion with his sons. And he has paid it all for us to have that. Tim Keller, and if you can't tell, Tim Keller has been very influential in my understanding of um, this passage, and, and he says this: He says, "Our triune God has absorbed and taken away the cost of our forgiveness, so we could be made right, be made right with God. So we could come back into the family and commune with God, though we owe a debt that we cannot repay. Jesus pays it all for us. We need one who does uh, doesn't just go to the next country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth." We need someone who's willing to pay at the infinite cost of his own life to bring us into God's family, for our debt is so much greater. Either as elder brothers or younger brothers, we have rebelled against God the Father. We deserve alienation, isolation, and rejection. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay, and there was Jesus, stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with his robe and standing that we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There, Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There's no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at his own expense, the expense of the life of his son. This is the offer for you and I, restoration to the Father, true relationship with the Father, communion with the Father. And all we have to do is accept the invitation, to turn away from our spiritual pride and receive the love of God. And so, as we close this morning, I just want to ask you some questions that the Lord, in preparing for this, has just been convicting me with. And so, uh, you can take these or leave these. I'm just kind of speaking to you out of my own heart and out of out of what God has been doing in in my life. But I would encourage you to wrestle with some of these questions throughout this week and. God has been convicting me of these. The first is just very simple. What path am I walking on today? What path am I walking on? Am I walking on the path of God's love and his invitation into communion with him? Or am I walking on the path of spiritual pride? And again, remember, spiritual pride can look really bad and it can also look really good. So don't just look at the externals in your life and say, well, I think I'm good. I've not done anything terrible, so like, I must be good. Ask the Lord, search and know me, God. Show me any, any way in me that is against you. Show me any way in me that is, that is uh, rejecting your will for the promotion of mine. What path am I walking on today? In what ways am I walking in spiritual pride? In what ways am I rejecting the will and kingdom of God for the promotion of my own will and kingdom? In what ways do you need to lay down your pride and receive the invitation of God's love? In what ways am I trying to control and manipulate God to bend his knee to my will? And where do I need to give up that control to instead bend my knee to his will? In what ways might I be using God to get what I want instead of just being with the Father? The invitation of love is an invitation of communion with God, relationship with God, being able to say, I have known God and God has known me. That is the invitation for each and every one of us in this room. God is calling us to receive His inviting love and to bring us back into relationship with Him. And so, Redeemer Bible Church, if you would stand to your feet. And I want to pray over us. I want to pray that we would be the kind of people that realize that today is the day, not tomorrow. Not to say, oh yeah, 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 I'll get to that some other time. Today is the day. Today is the day to lay down the pride. Today is the day to surrender to the Lord and his will. Today is the day. Let's not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so Jesus, we ask and we pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to walk in humility, to walk in receiving your love, that you would give us the boldness and courage to to turn from spiritual pride where we need to. And maybe that's turning from some just younger brother-type ways of living. We're living in ways that we know are wrong. We're living in ways where, where just any desire we have, we just follow it. God, maybe there's people in this room who need to confess some sin that, that nobody knows about. God, maybe there's some of us here convicting us of of the way that we're living like the older brother, and we're trying to behave in these certain ways so that we can just control you and manipulate you. Maybe there's some of us who are just, God, we're so bitter and angry with you because we think we don't have the life that we deserve. Wherever we are, God, I pray that you would allow us to humble ourselves and receive your invitation of love this morning. Bring us back to yourself. Holy Spirit, by your power, let us be not just hearers, but let us be doers of the word today. And so we ask that, we pray that for each and every one of us in this room. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you are loved and you are sent.